Good morning. Uh, my name is John Minan. I'm the campus minister for RUF at UDM. Uh, I've gotten to know Ben Cordemanche uh, a little bit since, uh, since moving here a year and a half ago. Uh, he has been a real friend and an ally uh, to RUF at UDM, and I'm grateful for his friendship. It was nice worshiping with him at 8 o'clock, and it's nice to worship with you all now uh, at 11. Well, as we, um, as we get ready uh, to look at God's Word together, I'd like for you to call to mind uh, your most treasured possession. What's your most treasured possession? Is it a family heirloom? Is it a gift your boyfriend or girlfriend bought for you? Or maybe your husband or wife? Or maybe your child made for you in class? Is it a pet like Ginger and the Golden Retriever? Or is it a person, even though it might be weird to call them my possession? Who or what is very near and dear to you? What's your most treasured possession? Now that you've got this thing or this person fixed in your mind, I want you to imagine that he or she or it is gone. Not dead and not destroyed, but lost. You had it yesterday, but today it's no longer there. What emotions does that stir within you? How are you feeling? Finally, what happens when your friends find out? How do they feel? When they learn about your loss, are they sympathetic? Are they empathetic? Do they experience some of the same hurt and pain as you? Or are they indifferent to your suffering? Does it phase them in the least? I want you to hold on uh, to these thoughts uh, and these feelings as we look at today's passage Don't let these things go. Today's story is about treasured possessions lost and found. It's a story about Jesus and what the heart of God is like. And finally, it's a story about God's friends, who they are and what they are like. Well, let's take a look at it together. Today's story is written down for us in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Uh, It can be found on page 1035 or 1047 uh, in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'll give you just a moment to, to turn there. Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, as I mentioned to you, today's story is about treasured possessions lost and found. It's a story about Jesus and the heart of God. And finally, it's a story about God's friends, who they are and what they're like. But in order for us to understand any of these things, we need to have some context. You know, why did Jesus tell this story in the first place? What prompted its telling? Well, the clues or the answers to those questions can be found in the first two verses of chapter 15. By the time Jesus tells this story... He's already earned the reputation of being a friend of sinners. Luke 15 begins this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Jesus is hanging out with prostitutes. He's spending time with people like the woman on Church Street who had sex with a stranger last night so she could buy a bag of heroin. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. He's hanging out with the likes of Tony Soprano and Bernie Madoff, wise guys and thieves. And Jesus is hanging out with sinners. He's hanging out with junkies and drunks, hungover college kids, your colleague who professes to be an atheist, right? your neighbor next door with all those Buddhist flags flapping in the wind. Jesus is hanging out with these kinds of people, and this is what's driving the religious establishment crazy. Look at verse number two. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, right? They're muttering, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Right? The Pharisees and scribes were experts in the law. Some have compared them to modern-day fundamentalists. You know, some fundamentalists stumbled upon Marty McFly's DeLorean, you know, with the flux capacitor, and they traveled back in time to 30 AD. They might have a lot in common with Pharisees and scribes. They'd be BFFs, right? Best friends forever. Well, the Pharisees and scribes were legalistic about some things. For example, fasting, or tithing, or keeping kosher. But they were very lax about other things, what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus said that his people, right, God's people, are supposed to be salt and light in the world. That we are supposed to come into contact with those who are very different from us. That we are supposed to bring goodness and beauty and truth to bear on an otherwise rotting, dying, and darkened world. But the Pharisees and the scribes want nothing to do with that. For whatever reason, be it fear of contamination, hatred, or simply pride, they avoid those who do not share their politics or their theology or their values. They avoid people like sinners and tax collectors who are coincidentally the very ones Jesus is pursuing. You know, another thing happened to me when I became a Christian uh, seven years ago. When Jesus finally got a hold of me in 2006, 2007, I was a burned-out Buddhist turned atheist. I was mired in sexual sin, 
and I had a drinking problem. I was your quintessential sinner slash tax collector. I guess you could call me an outsider. But a strange thing happened to me when I became a Christian, and chances are it's happened to you as well. When you became a Christian, when you were converted, when you joined the club, you forgot what it was like to be an outsider. Having been found, you forgot what it was like to be lost. You know, you're a Christian now. Uh, You're an insider. And one of the great privileges of being an insider is that you are reminded again and again and again that Jesus loves you. And this is a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You need to hear this message a lot, and I do too. But something happens along the way. You develop what I call Pharisee think. You begin to think that Jesus loves me because I'm a Christian. Jesus loves me because I'm in the club. Jesus loves me because I pay club dues, right? And I do club-like things, reading the Bible and praying and going to missions conferences and so on, right? Jesus loves me because I'm an insider. And this is classic Pharisee think. Pharisee think is believing that God loves insiders, right? You just look around you. But he doesn't love outsiders, right? Those outside the walls of this church. Your atheist colleague, your Buddhist neighbor, the junkie with a a needle in her arm. God loves insiders but doesn't love outsiders. So we think, right? And this is precisely why Jesus tells us stories like these. We forget who God is and what his heart is like. And we've forgotten what it means to be a friend of God. Well, let's turn our attention now to the very stories themselves. As I mentioned to you earlier, these are stories about loved ones lost and found. But in telling us these stories, Jesus wants to teach us who he is and what his heart is like. Secondly, he wants to teach us what it means to be a friend of God. Well, first, what does the story teach us about Jesus and the heart of God? Well, the story reveals the heart of God for the lost. God loves outsiders, and he longs to bring them into his fold. I'll say that again. The story reveals the heart of God for the lost. God loves outsiders, and he longs to bring them into his fold. Well, the stories themselves are very straightforward and simple. A shepherd has a hundred sheep. He loses one and he goes looking for it. He doesn't shrug his shoulders and say, eh, no matter, I got the 99, right? No, he leaves the 99 in order to find the one. A woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one and she goes looking for it. Like the shepherd, the woman doesn't shrug her shoulders and say, eh, doesn't matter, I've got the nine. No, she goes, she lights a lamp and she sweeps her house and she searches diligently until she finds the lost coin. What does this story teach us about the heart of God? Well, first of all, it teaches us that God loves the individual, right? The scriptures plainly teach that God loves humanity. In John 3.16, which is arguably the most famous verse in the Bible, begins, For God so loved the world. For the most part, that's fairly easy to believe, that God loves the world. It's easy to believe that God loves humanity as a whole. But it's a whole lot harder for us to believe that God loves us individually. It's hard to believe that God personally cares 
for each and every single one of us, right? Six billion and counting, with the same care and attention as a father has for his child. There's a Peanuts cartoon featuring Lucy and Linus. You all know Peanuts, right? Snoopy, Charlie Brown, Lucy and Linus. Well, Lucy says to her brother Linus one day, you can never be a doctor. Do you know why? It's because you don't love mankind. That's why. And Linus is sort of like, what? And he thinks for a moment, and then he shouts back to his sister, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) A lot of us think that God relates to us in the same way. Right? God loves mankind, but it's people he can't stand. God loves the world, but he doesn't love me. And why would he after all? I mean, come on. I'm I'm a sinner who's messy. You know, why waste your time with me? And if you think this way, you misunderstand the heart of God. God loves the individual, which is to say God loves you. God leaves the 99 for the one. But not only does God love the individual, God loves the lost. Did you notice that in the first story, there are 99 sheep who have no problem following the shepherd, right? 99 sheep, keeping their eyes on the shepherd, doing what the shepherd is telling them to do. And then you've got this one sheep over here who, for whatever reason, is getting lost, right? What's his problem? Like, is it an idiot? Like, is he stupid? Does he just, can he not get with the program? The Bible doesn't say, right? And frankly, Jesus doesn't care. We don't know how the sheep got lost in the first place. We don't know what bad choices it made to its being lost in the first place. It doesn't matter, right? What does matter is that the shepherd loves his sheep. And what does matter is that no matter what, the shepherd wants his sheep back. God loves the lost. Right? The lost are incredibly valuable in his sight. And you might ask, well, just how valuable? Well, consider this. The lost one is just as valuable as the 99 put together. Right? The lost one is just as valuable as the 9 put together. If you're mathematically minded, you'll say that doesn't make any sense. And I think you're right. But love doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. You know, I don't understand why God loves us. I don't understand why he is invested in in broken and messed up people like, like you and like me. But just because I don't understand that doesn't make it untrue. God loves the lost. And he loves you very, very much. Furthermore, God loves outsiders and he's willing to go to great lengths in order to bring them into his fold. Did you notice that the shepherd leaves the 99 and he heads into the open country? That is, he heads into the wilderness in order to find the lost sheep. Now, the wilderness described there is not a pleasant place, right? It's not a wooded glen filled with waterfalls and furry friends of the forest, right? It's not Underhill State Park, right? The the wilderness is a dry and desolate place. 
It's a place often associated with death. And significantly, the shepherd is willing to go there, right? Towards this scary and deadly place in order to bring the sheep back into his fold. In Luke 15, 8, the woman searches diligently until her lost coin is found. And the actions described in that verse, right? Lighting a lamp, sweeping the house, searching diligently... All of these verbs call attention to the great lengths this woman is willing to go to in order to bring this coin back into her fold, right? Back into her wallet. God is willing to go to every place. And he's willing to minister to every race in order to find his lost ones. Right? Even death he will face to bring his lost ones home. God loves the individual. God loves the lost. He loves outsiders and he's willing to go to great lengths to bring them back into his fold. What is more, God rejoices when the lost are found. In both stories, right, the shepherd and the woman rejoice when their lost ones are found. The shepherd lays the sheep on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home, He calls his friends together saying, Rejoice with me, it's time to party. My lost sheep has been found. Right? And the same could be said of the woman. Right? When she finds her lost coin, she invites her friends and neighbors over and says, Rejoice with me, it's party time. When the lost sheep and the lost coin are found, they are not met with rebuke or disparagement, but with songs of joy. Isn't this amazing? That when God finds his lost ones, he is not harsh but happy. In Isaiah 62, God says, you shall, no more be ter- you shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This story reveals to us the heart of God, and it paints for us a portrait of who Jesus is. Jesus loves the individual. Jesus loves the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the good shepherd who went into a dry and deadly place in order to lay his life down for his sheep. This is something he did willfully and joyfully, right? For the joy that was set before him, for outsiders becoming insiders, for lost sheep and lost coins being returned to his fold, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. Yet the Pharisees and scribes complain. They are complaining that Jesus is receiving sinners and tax collectors and eating meals with them. They don't know who God is. They don't know what his heart is like. And in their complaint and callousness, they reveal what their hearts are like. They reveal that they are not friends of God. They do not love the same things he loves. And this brings us to our second point. If God loves the lost, friends of God are those who love the lost too. 
God rejoices when the lost are found. Friends of God rejoice too. This is the second point. Friends of God love the same things as God. They rejoice when the lost are found. Friends of God love the same things as God. They rejoice when the lost are found. We see this particularly in Luke chapter 15, verses 6 and 9. The shepherd finds his lost sheep, and he calls his friends and his neighbor over, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. And in the same way, the woman calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have the coin, I found the coin that I've lost. What do their friends do? Well, of course they go over and celebrate. Right? They party with the shepherd. They party with their friend, the woman. And this story then presents us with a great test. You know you're a friend of God when you love the same things that he loves. You're a friend of God when you love the lost. You're a friend of God when you seek them out. You're a friend of God when you celebrate when they're found. And the Pharisees and the scribes aren't doing any of these things. They don't love outsiders. They're not pursuing them in love. They're judging them and they're keeping their distance. And when Jesus receives the lost and celebrates, they complain. They are not behaving like friends of God. In telling them this story then, Jesus is not simply saying God loves the lost. In telling them this story, Jesus is also saying, if you were my friend, you would love the lost too. The fact that you are complaining and not celebrating means that you need to repent. The Pharisees and the scribes need to repent. And the reason they need to repent is because they do not love the things or the ones that God loves. They do not love the lost. They do not rejoice when they are found, and as such, they need to repent. They are not the 99 persons who need no repentance. On the contrary, right? They are lost sinners too. Their hearts are hard. They are judgmental and self-righteous. They are insular and indifferent to the hurt that surrounds them. They are cozy and they're complacent. They lack compassion. They lack humility. They lack courage. And they lack love. They're sinners And Jesus is calling them to repentance too. And here, my friends, is the amazing thing. If and when Pharisees and scribes repent, Jesus will rejoice over them too. Jesus has made it very clear that God rejoices when the lost are found. And that includes lost Pharisees and lost scribes. Look at verse 7 and 10. Right? In these verses, Jesus says there is a party happening in heaven every time a sinner repents. Right? There is a party in heaven when a sinner or tax collector repents, but there is a party in heaven every time a lost Pharisee or scribe repents as well. And it is not too late for sinners and tax collectors outside of this church to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And when they do, you can be sure that Jesus is rejoicing with all of the saints and angels in heaven. But in the same way, when Pharisees and scribes within this church repent for their hardness of heart, for not loving the lost like Jesus does, you can be sure as you're born that Jesus is rejoicing in heaven too with all of the saints and all of the angels over you. I want to address sinners and tax collectors who for whatever reason found themselves within these walls today and have come to church. I want you to know that God loves you very, very much. God loves you so much that well before you were born, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit hatched a plan to rescue you and bring you back home. That's why the Son of God took on flesh. It's why he left heaven for earth. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, which is to say that Jesus came on a rescue mission to seek and save you. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. He loves you and he wants to bring you back into his fold. Not only do I want you to know about Jesus, I want you to know about a guy named Paul. All right. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And if you think you're bad, Paul, I guarantee, was much, much worse. Right? Paul hated Christians. He hated them so much that he was murdering them. But Jesus loved Paul. And Jesus loved Paul even though Paul did not love Jesus. And Jesus went after Paul, right? And he caught up with him on a road leading to Damascus. Paul was going to Damascus, by the way, to murder some more Christians. Well, on this road, Jesus appears to Paul in a flash of light. And he says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You know, why are you going against the grain? Why are you kicking against the goats? And Paul stands and says, who are you? And Jesus responds to him, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And he tells Paul, stand up. I've got a job for you. I've handpicked you, Paul, to be my servant. And I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to all the outsiders all over the globe. And I'm doing this because I want you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness from their sins and have a place with me in heaven. You see, as far as outsiders go, Paul was way out there in left field. But Jesus made this outsider an insider. Right? Jesus made this outsider a missionary in order that you, an outsider, might know that surely if Jesus receives this one, he can accept me too. Surely if Jesus accepts this outsider, he can accept me, an outsider as well. Right? There is nothing, my friends, that can separate you from the love of Christ. Sinners and tax collectors in this room, hear me when I say, Jesus loves you, and he longs to bring you into his fold. But it's not just sinners and tax collectors in this room I want to address. I want to address you Pharisees and scribes as well. Jesus loves you too. But friends, he wants us to repent. Right? He wants you to repent, and he wants me to repent as well. He wants us to see afresh that he really does love outsiders in our neck of the wood. He wants you to confess your hardness of heart 
your pride, and your self-congratulation. God does not love you because you made better choices than your neighbors. God does not love you because you are morally pure, because you're not. God does not love you because, for any of those reasons. He loves you because he loves you. And if you call yourself a Christian today, it's only by his grace. Once upon a time you were lost, but now you're found. So rather than congratulate yourself, why don't you thank God for his loving pursuit and kindness? If you know the love and grace of God, Jesus wants you now to show that very same love and grace towards others. Practice hospitality and pursue your neighbors in love. Get to know them. Invite them into your home. Take time. Ask them questions. You know, what makes them happy? What makes them sad? What do they love? What are they struggling with? How might you be able to come alongside them and help? Communicate to them, not just with your words, but with your actions, that God really does take an interest in them, that he really does love them, and he wants to bring them back home. When the lost are in your midst, receive them with songs of joy and welcome. And know again, as sure as you are born, that when you do these things, Jesus is smiling. He's looking down on you from heaven. And there's a party happening with all of the saints and all of the angels. Because God loves you and he cares for you. And he rejoices over you as well. Pharisees and scribes don't know the heart of God, so Jesus tells them this story about a lost sheep and a lost coin. You know, these stories reveal the heart of God for the lost. God loves outsiders and he wants to bring them into his fold. Friends of God love the lost too. They love the same things that God loves. They love the lost, they pursue the lost, and they rejoice when they are found. My friends, Jesus did not tell us these stories to entertain us. He did it to elicit a response. What are you going to do?